Okay, well, we're studying, we're continuing our study of maturity. I um, wanted to open with this verse, uh, Hebrews 6.1. It says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Okay, a little quip about maturity, right? Leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Isn't that what we think about? We think about maturity. Maybe we're leaving some of the things behind that um, we um, have grown out of maybe added to, but, you know, we want to, it talks about moving on. We've talked about that before. Uh, maturity is a progression. It's also a comparison. It's also a relationship among people. So leave the elementary, of, leave, leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Let's move on from the small things that we know, move on to the big things uh, that we should understand, and go on to maturity. Uh, we'll talk again later about how this word maturity really means completeness, okay? We like to talk about maturity, don't we? I'm mature, right? I'm older, I know more, you know, bigger than my sister, so forth and so on. I'm mature, but really maturity is completeness in the original words, and that completeness means that we're complete in Christ. Com- completeness means what? Once again, it's a comparison. Incomplete, complete. It's uh, where we're headed. It's our, even maybe our eschatology. Not laying a foundation of repentance from dead works uh, and of faith toward God. Not laying a foundation, again, a foundation of repentance from dead works. Not thinking so much about the past. Uh, We talk about repentance unto life. We repent of the way that we are day by day, sinning, confessing to Jesus Christ, confessing to God, okay? But we don't want to live entirely in that. We are repentant. We're not going to be repentant from our works that are forgiven already in the past, repentance from dead works works in the past. But we're going to be uh, moving on from that, moving on in our life, continuing to be repentant when we need to be, but not dwelling on that past. So you get a treat today. Pam Crown brought this to me, or sent it to me after our last lesson. She's a, obviously a Trekkie, like I sort of am, but not really. My brother, who works at NASA, is a Trekkie. But here's a, um, a poem by William Shatner uh, from the early 70s, as I remember, when this was written, and it was part of a recording. It's called The Transformed Man, and it relates to some of the things. It's interesting. The reason I bring this to you today, it does relate to some of the things that we've talked about before. They're said in a similar way to other people that have said them. You know, we talk about high poetry. Well, Shatner actually says some of the things just like we've said them before, just like some of the, you know, the very um, erudite poets have. So let's read through this, The Transformed Man. It says, One day, just another day of organized happiness, like all the others, I closed all the doors behind me, And as a leaf drops out of a tree, I quietly walked out of the life they had planned for me. Not once did regret clutch my hand. I left on the wings of instinct. I turned away from a city teeming with desperate and haggard faces, away from the peddlers of hate and vengeance, away from the clock that decrees time is money, 
away from the arrogant and infallible whose hands are stained with blood. All this I have left far behind me, and as a moss seeks light, as water seeks water, I sought the purity of higher regions where austere mountains thrust their faces toward the sun. There in my sanctuary, surrounded by the dignity of pines and the serenity of gray boulders, I let my eyes drink in the clarity of windswept skies. I felt the warmth of sun-drenched stone. I listened to all the sounds and the sounds of the earth, and I waited as calm as a hooded falcon for the hand of faith to lift, to, to lift the darkness. Each new dawn flamed above the treetops and scattered white fleece about the skies. And the darkness came and pushed the red lip of sun below the horizon. I lost track of the days. To count them never occurred to me. Cutting myself adrift from the past and the future, I became immersed in the living moment, the eternal now. Then one day in the split of the moment, then one day in the split of the moment, the shutter within flashed open and a gush of light flooded my being. I became as a pure crystal submerged in a translucent sea, and I knew that I had been awakened. I had touched the face of God. Interesting things said somewhat colloquially, uh, said in our modern language, talks about organized happiness. Isn't that what we do? Get our calendars out, alarm wakes us up in the morning, we got it all planned out so that we'll be happy. He's walking away from that organized happiness, that happiness which, which he thinks that he controls. Uh, he closed the doors behind. He's leaving things behind, just like we talked about in our first verse. And as a leaf drops out of a tree, I quietly walk out of the life they had planned for me. That's the world pushing us in one direction or another. Not once did I re- did regret clutch my hand. I left on the wings of instinct. His orientation has changed. That's what he's saying with this language. Not once did regret clutch my hand. I left on the wings of instinct. Instinct, okay, self-examination, our tendency to go one way or another, which is based upon not only your genes and your inherent way of being, that way that you were created, but on your reaction to um, your own experience. So that's what instinct is all about. Not once did regret clutch my hand I left on the wings of instinct. I turned away from a city teeming with desperate and haggard faces, away from the peddlers of hate and vengeance, away from the clock that decrees time as money, away from the arrogant and infallible whose hands are stained with blood. All this I left far behind me, and as a moss seeks light, as water seeks water. Natural um, descriptions here that help us to understand not only nature, but God and ourselves, okay? As a moss seeks light, as water seeks water, those images help to stimulate our minds about um, the way providence um, moves us along in our lives. I sought the purity of higher regions where austere mountains thrust their faces toward the sun. Higher regions, that's where we'd like to be, isn't it? A higher understanding, higher relationship with God. Um, Mountains uh, thrusting their face toward the sun, toward God, toward heaven. There in my sanctuary, and this will remind you of some of the descriptions that we've had in our previous poems. 
people taking nature, describing it very carefully, showing that this is providence, that this is God revealed to us. The heavens declare the glory of God, right? We have this concentration on nature. It's very useful. There in my sanctuary, surrounded by the dignity of pines and the serenity of gray boulders, I let my eyes drink in the clarity of windswept skies. I felt the warmth of sun-drenched stone. I listened to all the sounds of the earth, and I waited as as calm as a hooded falcon for the hand of faith to lift the darkness. Okay, all these images, these natural images, which make us, you know, feel better. Serenity of gray boulders, dignity of pines, clarity of the windswept skies. These things that we see in nature help us to uh, see God, to um, rest in him, the warmth of sun-drenched stone. Each new dawn flamed above the treetops. This is his new life, perhaps his reborn life, and scattered white fleece about the skies, And the darkness came and pushed the red lip of the sun below the horizon. I lost track of the days. To count them never occurred to me, cutting myself adrift from the past and the future. Interesting, isn't it? You know, this is our eternal life, isn't it? It's not just concentrating on what the past was, not looking for something we think is coming in the future. But um, we are resting in Christ Cut, cutting myself adrift from the past and this future that we've devised for ourselves, I became immersed in, in the, in the, um, in the uh, living in the moment. Um, you remember, right? you may, some of you may remember from Screw Tape Letters, C.S. Lewis says, the present is where time meets eternity. Interesting thing to kind of think about, okay? The present is where time meets eternity. What does that mean? Well, the present, we have a concept of the past. We anticipate the future, Lewis says. And so this present is where time meets eternity, where the present, your experience right now with Jesus Christ, okay, is your eternity. doesn't end for us, does it? It's always, God has always been. We understand that he is sovereign, that he has created and we anticipate our life with him as time goes by. Somewhat is what is said in, uh, in his poem. Then one day in the split of a moment, the shutter within flashed open. Okay, might remind you of Paul a little bit, right? That big flash of light that Paul saw. That's that, that's that section of the Bible is called what? Called Paul's conversion, isn't it? Okay. The shutter within flashed open and a gush of light flooded my being. Sounds like regeneration, conversion, okay? Being born again, born from above, born from above. I became as a pure crystal submerged in a translucent sea. What does that mean? You guys understand what he's saying? Put a crystal in water, kind of disappears, doesn't it? Okay? If it's not a highly colored crystal, you put it in a glass of water, you see nothing, do you? Okay? It's a white crystal, you know that for sure. Roy is laughing at me. He's a chemist, you know, he understands all these things. So, But at any rate, that's what he's saying here. Submerged, a, a pure crystal submerged in a translucent sea. That's the way we like our life to be with Christ, isn't it? Completely submerged in him, okay? We want our life to be within him. We don't want to have these times of separation from him. doesn't mean we don't want to have this earthly life that he's given us, but we want to have our life 
immersed in Jesus Christ. And I knew that I had been awakened. Okay? We know, don't we? We know when we've been awakened. You know, some people talk about big experiences when they're converted, you know, things that are dramatic that happen to them. And that's fine. That's good. Okay? But people who are converted know that they're converted. They're not running around trying to prove to themselves that they're converted. They know that they live in Christ. They know that they need Christ. They know themselves. They know Jesus Christ. And they know that they've been awakened. Touching the face of God, I'm going to leave that to you guys. I'm not sure that I can really explain that to you too much, but it's a very 70s kind of statement, don't you think, Pam? Very 70s kind of statement. So, so interesting poem. It says, a lot of, it says a lot of things similar to what we have been talking about, and I think it puts some of the points forward, too, about, about maturity. It even talks about conversion, okay? Is, is, is maturity conversion? You might make that argument. Is maturity growing up in Christ? Of course, that's what our, our uh, first verse talked about, growing in Christ, uh, being the move toward maturity, toward maturity, toward completeness, okay? Toward completeness. So I wanted to give you some examples. I put a lot of Bible in here today, what we're supposed to do. I had to do that because I knew Pastor Ben was going to be here. If I don't use a lot of Bible, he tells me about it. So. But at any rate... Um, we're going to use a lot of Bible today. We're going to talk, see some of the examples of uh, this application of uh, maturity. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the meaning of maturity. And then at the end, I'm going to leave a little time uh, to give you an example, okay, from our life today about how this maturity applies. So let's look at John 15, 1 through 11. It's a long passage, but it talks about uh, one part of the nature of maturity. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, uh, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Okay? Long passage. Uh, vine and the branches. Isn't this what we seek? We seek to be in Jesus Christ. We seek to be in that complete way, okay? We seek, we seek to be complete in Jesus Christ. And this is a metaphorical way of describing this, the vine and the branches. We are attached to him. Other places talks about being grafted into Jesus Christ, but we are attached to him. We ask again, what is maturity? What is completeness? Okay, this passage 
is a discussion of completeness. It's a discussion of being complete in Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells us how this works. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. You've been awakened to the word of God. You've been awakened to Jesus Christ himself. Um, He says right before that, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Where else can a mature person be but in God, in Jesus Christ? Mature meaning, again, complete. Uh, Exchange those words as we talk about them. Uh, Maturity is completeness. It is completeness in Jesus Christ. And as we've said before, there is no other maturity than maturity in Jesus Christ. If you're growing up into something that is perfect or towards something that is perfect, you have to have that thing that is perfect. And so if you're going to be mature, you're going to be complete, you have to be a Christian. There's no such thing as not being Christian and being mature. He it is that bears much fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and him and, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Another sign of maturity, isn't it? We're living in Christ. We're showing the fruit of living in Christ. Uh, verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Okay? How are we going to describe maturity? How are we going to describe completeness? It's not an easy thing to describe. There's a lot of different aspects to it. Okay? But here in verse 8, by this my Father is glorified. Okay? If we are glorifying God, glorifying Jesus Christ, there is certainly a form of completeness there. It is the completeness that we seek. It's not just being. It is a completeness that glorifies God, if you want to measure what maturity is. That you bear much fruit, okay, in that glorification, and so prove to be my disciples. I think that if we said that we were the disciples of Jesus Christ, suppose you were there when Jesus was on earth, okay, you could say, well, I have a complete life in Jesus Christ. We know the story of the disciples. They were learning from Jesus Christ. They got a lot of this wrong. But suppose you and I, having had the revelation of Jesus Christ, having listened to a lot of sermons, read the Bible, lived in Jesus Christ, were there at, uh, at the time that he was, okay? Uh, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Um, that's what being in Christ is all about, isn't it? We are there with him. We're living like him. We're living in his purity and in his commandments. That's another sign of maturity, isn't it? We're not talking about legalism. We're not talking about taking the Ten Commandments and checking them off or reading all of Leviticus and checking all that stuff off. But our completeness is how we live in Jesus Christ. It's not only a demonstration. It's not only the outward appearance, okay? But if you're living in Christ, if you're living in his law, that is that completeness and maturity that we seek. We abide in his love. Um, wanted to read a quote from our book that I'm sorry I'm not able to get for you, but this is a Sinclair Ferguson's uh, book on maturity that we talked about. Uh, Ferguson says the context makes it far more likely that his concern here is for them to bear the fruit of the Spirit and to develop stable Christian character. This, not their gifts or position, but their growth in grace, will prove, will quote, prove a person to be a disciple, okay? 
So maturity again, okay, bearing fruit of the Spirit, developing stable Christian character. This is another, other aspects of maturity as we try to describe what maturity is. As we try actually to rest in our maturity, don't we? We rest in Christ and we rest in that aspect of of our maturity. This, he says, this passage we've been looking at, the resting in Christ, fruit of the Spirit, stable Christian character, this, he says, uh, not their gifts or position, but their growth in grace will prove a person to be a disciple. This proving again is a sign of maturity. You can see the signs. You know, we say, can we see the signs of Christianity or following Christ in this person or that person? Well, so often we ask the question about ourselves, don't we? Am I there? Okay. Am I far enough along the road? Do I know Jesus Christ? Am I living in Jesus Christ? What distracts me from Jesus Christ? Conflict comes up. We all get distracted with each other. Okay. But do we turn to Christ Do we know that our life is in him and know that full growth of living in him or not? Where is our maturity? Where are we? We'll talk about that more later. Look at Psalm 80, please. Um, Another long reading, but I think, again, it gives us a sense of what maturity is, the many different aspects of maturity or completeness in Christ. Psalm 80, uh, give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You know, I read those first three verses and I think, well, that's maturity, isn't it? This is somebody who knows where his sustenance is. Somebody who knows where he goes. Not just when he's in trouble, but just for his mere existence, his enjoyment, his life, his resting in his particular being. These first three verses are a person who calls upon God. It takes a mature person to call upon God, doesn't it? Verse 4, O Lord of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among us, among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that moves, all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. 
How, what is, how does this relate to maturity, okay? Did I pick the wrong psalm? How does it relate to maturity? We're talking here, we see this description of this person who knows his total dependency upon God, okay? He knows first that he should call upon God. We don't know particularly at the beginning, if you, you read this just from the start, what his particular problems are, but there's a problem. He's calling on his God. He knows where his sustenance is. He has that knowledge. Maturity to know the one in whom you rest. The other thing about this psalm is he talks about some of the trials that God has given to his people is that he realizes that God is sovereign, okay? You know, in our immaturity, I do this all the time, okay? I'm not accusing anybody, but I'll do this all the time. I whine a lot, okay? If you don't believe me, ask my wife, okay? I complain, all right? Something happens, okay? And I whine a lot. But do I think about where my sustenance is? How do I finally calm myself? How do I finally get back to that completeness, okay, that maturity that we're talking about? It's when I know where my sustenance is. And these trials, this life that God gives us, uh, causes us, causes the uh, believer to rest in him. That's a mature, complete way to be. Maturity, completeness. And this is all described in this psalm, okay? All that happens, these bad things that happen in our lives to ourselves and to other people. Graphic, graphic descriptions. Um, they have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. They have perished at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man, whom you have made strong for yourself. After this description, okay, of all the trials of life, which is pretty graphic here, he takes us back to, to what? The Son of Man. He takes us back to where we need to be, to our completeness, okay? Son of Man is Jesus Christ, okay? We're Son of Men as well. We're people of God. We live in Jesus Christ. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. That's verse 18. That's a completeness of life, isn't it? God gives us life in Jesus Christ, and we call upon his name. Restore us, O Lord of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. That's a mature way of being, okay? It's a complete way of being. There's not all this effluviance of what, it's to be, what it is to be mature in this world. It is a relatively simple thing. It's reliance in living in Jesus Christ. Um, let's look at this next passage, which is Romans 6, 1 through 11. Dead to sin and alive to God. That's a nice title, isn't it? Um, that could be a description of the mature or complete person, couldn't it? Uh, Romans 6, 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can he who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus are baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his." We know that our own self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we, know we would no longer be enslaved to sin. 
For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Well, what do you think about that with regard to maturity? Okay? First thing I think about when I read this passage is, boy, you've got, you got to be pretty mature to understand all this stuff, right? I mean, it's, it's complex. This is the, some of the complexity of our theology. What does it mean for Christ to have died for us? Do we really have a grasp of that? Do we really understand it to any degree? A passage like this uh, actually gives me uh, more motivation uh, to look forward and to mature more, to, to uh, become um, within Christ in a, in a better way, to become more complete in my life in Christ. Because, you know, it's hard to understand. It's hard to carry yourself through this passage and get it. And we don't get it completely, I don't think. This is a tough one. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That's complex, isn't it? All right? It's, it's like being in a philosophy class in college. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? It might, it's an argument that an immature place, person would make, isn't it? Okay? Well, God gives me grace. He forgives me. He gives me this life. And in order to glorify him, I have to sin more so he can glorify. He can be glorified. Well, that, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. It's an immature way of looking at it. And Paul is somewhat here mocking uh, the, some of the ways that we think about our life in Christ. Verse 2, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Okay? Maturity is living less and less in sin day by day. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into, G into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Well, that's complex, isn't it? You feel mature when you read something like that? You feel like you're complete, that you know what you need to know? It's hard to ferret all that out, okay? We understand it a little bit. Jesus Christ died for us, okay? We live in his death because we understand, don't we, the meaning of his death. We understand that he died for us. We understand our depravity. We understand Jesus' holiness. We understand the work that Jesus Christ has done uh, in his life on earth, in his crucifixion, and that he intercedes for us always as well. Um, verse 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. Complex again. Maybe this passage, partly what it does and what Paul does with us here is to show us perhaps how immature we are because we don't understand this at first blush, do we? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism into death. Complex language, but what does this tell us? If we are in Jesus Christ, we become alive again, okay? Um, we and our relationship with Christ and our reading the Bible, our hearing sermons and whatnot, we come to understand what baptism into death means. If you say that to the average person, they're going to go, what? But you have an understanding of that. 
you have some completeness in Jesus Christ in knowing that we are baptized, we are we are uh, saved by his death. We are taken from our depravity that we might live in him. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Description of completeness, isn't it? We've died uh, in Jesus Christ and we are resurrected in him as well. It's the completeness of our life. It's the maturity of our life. Um, let's see, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. A little more clear. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Makes some sense, doesn't it? Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. Okay, we are in Christ. We are sustained by him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. That is the description of our completeness, isn't it? This is our maturity, our completeness. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Um, Everybody take a deep breath. Get up and do some exercises. Wake yourselves up again, okay? Um, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Another description of our completeness in Jesus Christ, of our maturity, and I've added there a poem, but let's read this uh, little passage first. It says, Colossians 3, 1 through 4, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Okay, does that give you a feeling of completeness? How about that last verse? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Christ, who is your life, that's your completeness, that's your maturity. We will appear with him in glory. You know, that crystal in the water that William Shatner talked about. Now, George Herbert has this poem. It's called Colossians 3.3, pretty simple title. Uh, Our life is hid with Christ in God, okay? Very interesting, in this poem, that verse, our life is hid with Christ in God, is peppered throughout this little poem that he makes. You can see it, it's in uh, capital letters here. But Herbert is also describing a life of completeness in Jesus Christ, so Colossians 3.3, George Herbert. George Herbert lived 1593 to 1633. So he's right in the middle of the Reformation there. He's one of the seething parts of the Reformation that brings about, about good theology for us. So he's in that milieu. So Colossians 3.3, my words and thoughts do both express this notion that life hath with the Son a double motion. The first is straight in our diurnal friend, the other hid and doth obliquely bend. One life is wrapped in flesh and tends to earth. The other winds towards him whose happy birth taught me to live here 
so that still one eye should aim and shoot at that which is on high, quitting with daily labor all my pleasure to gain at harvest an eternal treasure. Nice poem, isn't it? It really says a lot of things that we can relate to. Let's go through it. My words and thoughts do express this notion, okay? Expressing himself. That life hath with the sun a double motion. Two aspects of life is what he's saying in poetic language. That life hath with the sun a double motion. The first is straight in our diurnal, friend. You guys understand diurnal? Diurnal means twice a day, okay? Happens in the morning, happens in the evening. Two different parts of the day. Diurnal, two parts. Um, so uh, the, the first is straight. The, the sun has a double motion. The first is straight in our diurnal, friend. Comes up in the morning, goes down in the evening, you know, changes twice a day. The first is straight, my life. I have the, this, I'm sorry, the life hath with the sun a double motion. The first is straight in our diurnal, friend. That's our earthly life, isn't it? Okay, that's why we see life. Sun comes up, sun comes down. We do things that are appropriate to both times of day. The other double motion of the sun, the other hid and doth obliquely bend. Okay? Two aspects of our life. One is that that you see. You see it here. You see it each day as we get up and do things and interact and uh, experience providence and chastisement by God. The first is straight and our diurnal friend. The other hid and doth obliquely bend. That's our spiritual life, isn't it? Are we just going to look at this life that we have here? Are we going to see beyond that? Um, uh, George Herbert is telling us that these are two parts of the same thing, okay? The sun goes. Of course, here he's also relating the fact that the sun is a, uh, a representation of Jesus Christ. But we have two parts of our life. We have this life here that we see uh, day by day that we live in. We also have a spiritual life to which we relate these things. Some people... Um, they have a spiritual life, but they're not quite up into that spiritual life the way that we are. They, see, they live seemingly a single life, this life on earth, okay? This life in this world, our fallen lives, okay? And they don't see that second life, that spiritual life. But here, as complete people, as Jesus Christ has taught us, we have two things. We have our life on earth, and we have our spiritual life as well. And, done, and uh, George Herbert is trying to express this for us. The other hid and doth obliquely bend. One life is wrapped in flesh and tends to earth. The other winds towards him whose happy birth taught me to live here so that still one eye should aim and shoot at that which is on high, quitting with my daily labor all my, tre- all my pleasure to gain at harvest an eternal treasure. Okay, completeness in Jesus Christ, isn't it? One life is wrapped in flesh and tends to earth. That's what we just described. This is our flesh. This is our fleshly life. The other winds towards him whose happy birth taught me to live here so that still one eye. This is our completeness in Jesus Christ. One eye should aim and shoot at that which is on high. Aim and shoot at Jesus Christ, quitting with daily labor all my pleasure, okay, all these worldly pleasures to gain at harvest an eternal treasure. Maturity in Jesus Christ, isn't it? This little poem, I think, really gives you a sense of what a complete person living in Jesus Christ is all about. 
Okay? This actually, I'll just say this as an aside just to throw you way off and make you angry at me. Um, this uh, poem is parabolic. And if you look at the uh, definitions of parabolas, I think, again, only Roy is going to understand this, but we look at the parabolic function. There are two functions as we graph the parabolic function. One is a straight line, okay? The other is this curved line. The focus of both of those, what we call a focus, right, right? It's called the focus. is this dot in the center that all, all the points on these two lines relate to, okay? That one dot is Jesus Christ. You have the straight line of our uh, life on earth. We have this curved line that starts in the heavens, comes down near our life on earth, and back to the heavens again. That focus for both of those is um, Jesus Christ. It's mathematically called a focus, but it also is our spiritual focus. So there's a little bit of mathematics that you didn't want, but you think about parables in the Bible. They're called parables for that reason, because they relate to that relationship. Colossians 3.22, bondservants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Again, describes a life in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3.15 and 16, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Now, most of the time, you know, we remember this business in this passage of always having a defense, always being able to go out and evangelize or explain to people and so forth and so on. Um, but the beginning of this, in verse 15, says, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. That's the beginning of this. Again, I, when I hear this verse, I always think about the evangelism thing, be able to give a defense. This is what is harped upon us all the time, uh, this business of uh, be prepared to make a defense. If you're a mature person, you can do that. As we become more mature, we do it better and better. But the beginning of this is, in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. That's your completeness that allows you to represent Jesus Christ to others. So again, it speaks to maturity. I wanted to say just a couple of things about um, the word uh, teleos. It's the word for maturity that's used in the New Testament. It's Greek. I don't know any Greek, but I read this in the book, so I'll tell you about it. And it's interesting. If you go to the Internet, you go to the Greek where it does the interlinear for you, you can see that this word is used over and over and over again and is translated maturity, okay? Now, we, uh, some of you may, may have had a little philosophy, talk about teleology, okay, the teleological argument, those kinds of things. Teleology is the focus on things when they're complete, focus on things at the end. And uh, it's a, really a study of completeness. So this word teleos is really a word that can be translated completeness as opposed to maturity. So when you read your New Testament, you see maturity, Really, this Greek word relates equally well to this concept of completeness, and we've been talking about completeness in, in Christ. I just want to go through a few of these verses that I've given you. 
Uh, the rest of those, uh, please enjoy yourselves. Hebrews 5.9, and being made perfect, okay, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. We're talking about Jesus Christ. So this word, uh, I, think, I, can, I don't know if I can pronounce it, teleotheus, I think is the way it's said, is the Greek word for this perfect, this word perfect, okay? So it relates to that completeness again. Uh, Jesus being made perfect is being perfect, okay? He became the uh, source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Um, we looked at Hebrews 2, let's look at verse 10. Um, let's do 9 through 11. But uh, we see him for, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he may taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should uh, make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Perfect again, same word, teleosai in this case. Uh, for, and it's, you know, same words used for maturity and um, same variation on the word used for maturity and completeness. Verse 11, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, okay? He who sanctifies, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, the Spirit of Christ sanctifies us, and those who are sanctified, those we are the ones being sanctified, right? Are, who are sanctified all have one source. One source is Jesus Christ, okay? Our completeness is in him. Our sanctification, when you think about sanctification, yes, we talk about um, uh, being sanctified in Jesus Christ by the Spirit, um, but do we understand that this is really our maturity? Can we understand it in the context of maturity um, and know that that maturity comes from one source? I'm going to leave those other verses to you. I wanted to tell a story today. Hopefully, you guys can hang over a little bit. It might be a long story, but I'll try to get through it. I didn't leave myself enough time. But I want to use this story to illustrate. It's kind of a more relaxed story, I guess. I want to tell you about the tree in the yard next to my house. It's a willow tree, okay? Huge tree. It's been there forever, I'm sure. And uh, gigantic. If we got a bunch of guys together and we did a tree hug, we probably, four or five people, couldn't get around this tree. Okay, it's a big tree. And it's got big branches. You know, um, willow trees are not very affable trees. They're a mess. They're dropping stuff all the time. Branches, leaves, stringy things. And I'm cleaning up after this tree in my neighbor's yard all the time. Okay. Um, you look at this thing on Google Earth, you see this great big canopy of this tree goes up over the neighbor's house, my house, okay, the neighboring trees. It's all intertwined with the trees around it. Well, um, Drew and I were looking out the window one day, and there's a big crack in this branch, big branch. The branches, again, if Drew and I got any on either side of it, we probably couldn't get our arms around it and touch each other, Okay. It's a big branch. There's this huge crack in it. And we're going, oh, no, this is going to fall in my house. Okay. And we know the neighbors a little bit. It's a young couple. They had a branch fall off of this tree before, and they just sort of left it lying in the yard. And we were wondering, well, are they going to pay attention to this branch? Okay. Are they going to do something about this? It looks like it's going to fall on our house. It's one of our two. Okay. 
So we got all anxious about it, as we do. And uh, we kept an eye on it. We were wondering if they're going to come out and take care of it. And I went out several times a day and examined this thing and wondering why it hasn't cracked off yet. This, this crack in here is huge, okay? And it looks like the limb is starting to come down. Why hasn't it come down yet? And, of course, I'm examining it carefully. That's what old men do. You know, we go out and look at this stuff and try to figure out what's going on. And here, I see that all the branches from this tree are intertwined with the branches of the surrounding trees. There's a big oak tree, a bunch of maples, a couple cherries in my, in my yard, in the neighbor's yard. Underneath, there's a, some kind of fruit tree that they've, in their yard that they've put a swing on for their kids. They have a five-year-old and I think a one-year-old now. But this big branch, you know, I'm worried about it. You know, we see some branches falling down on the outer parts of the tree and where it's intertwined with these other surrounding trees, okay? And um, I'm wondering, again, why this branch simply hasn't fallen off. And what I realize is that it's being held up by its intertwining with these other surrounding trees. But as the weight of it comes down, starting to break off some of the branches of the surrounding trees. So finally, after a week or so, I decided I better talk to the neighbors. Went over, knocked on the door, grandpa's babysitting, five-year-old, big black dog, you know. Uh, five-year-old hugs me six times, big black dog, wagging his tail, licking my hand. And I said, look, you know, there's this big uh, branch. It's got a big crack in it. It's going to come down. Of course, you know what he said. Is it in our yard or your yard? Well, I, I'd already checked the plat map, okay, and it's in your yard. I knew that anyway. And he said, I said, well, it's in your yard. I can tell from the plat map. And he says, oh, it's going to be expensive, probably $1,000, probably more, right? Probably more, okay? And I gave him the name of our tree service called Good Tree Service, okay? It's a good tree service, but it's because of Greg Good, who's the guy that owns it. You may know Greg, but he's taking care of our trees. I gave him the phone number, so... I thought, well, we got to start at least. And so went back home, and Drew and I are looking at this tree day by day. Nothing's happening. And uh, I tell Drew, well, I'm going to catch the daughter. I'm going to catch the wife, actually, um, at the bus stop with the children one day. And I'll address it with her. So one day, 4 o'clock, I know when the bus comes. Okay, That's what old men do. We know when the buses go by. Um, go out. I talk to her. I said, look, did you hear about the branch? She says, oh, yeah, he told us. And I said, did you look at it? And she said, uh, well, Dan did. It's her husband. Dan looked at it. I said, okay. Well, you know, it's a big branch. It's got a big crack. It's going to come down. Your house, my house, okay, the, the trees. And she says to me, very wisely, I mean, you know, she's a, she's, she's a doctor of physical therapy, um, like Jamie Otte is. He's a doctor of physical therapy, too. She says to me, very wisely, the old guy getting all excited, right? She says, well, let's go look at it. So... We go to look at it. Well, I realize as we approach this tree from their side, you can't see the crack. You can't. It's covered over. It's got its bark there. You can't see the crack. And so I took her around, showed her the crack. It was huge. She went, and we, she said, okay, we have a guy. Okay, they already contacted somebody. We have a guy, standard dialogue, right? So I said, good, okay, well, good. They're going to take care of it. So I'll go back home. Of course, Drew and I are worrying day by day. Another week goes by. Finally, the guy shows up. He's got his cherry picker, right? And they're going to take care of this tree. 
Well, they do, like they normally do. John knows. They go out to the very upper parts, and they're going to take the smaller stuff down first. Cherry pickers up there, they're taking branches down. Well, what do they realize after about three or four branches? Yeah, take all the spore away. That's why this thing hasn't fallen off yet, because those branches, those just old branches hung up, woven, interwoven with all those other trees, is holding it up. And the guy way up at the cherry picker, he took one branch down, and the thing started going like this. And he's like, well, better stop, okay? He realized at that point, should have realized, probably maybe realized it before, that the support was in the trees, okay? But where was the problem? The problem was that attachment to the main trunk of the tree, right? So uh, they quit. They finally addressed that big crack. What they did is they tied it up with a big rope to another branch, so at least it's safe for the time being, okay? But they addressed the problem. So, relating to our lives, our level of maturity, okay? I thought this was kind of a good example of what goes on. Here we are, our lives were those distal branches, aren't we? We're all interwoven here. At night, I can hear these branches sawing across each other as this thing gradually comes by, creaking, sawing these branches against each other. And there's a lot of mayhem out there, branches dropping. And, but, you know, if you're just concentrating on that part, you're missing the point. If you can't see the crack, okay, because of, as my neighbors on their side is all covered with bark, if they can't see the crack, they're not going to know how to fix this, how to address it. Well demonstrated by the arborists who came by. Well, if we're just going to pay attention to that, we're going to have trouble. We're going to drop this tree on one of these houses. So once attention became focused on this area of the crack, they suspended this, lee, this, this uh, tree from the rest of the tree, okay? They at least addressed the main problem, which is attachment to Jesus Christ, okay? We are grafted in, aren't we? Our sustenance is from him. You have troubles in your lives, you hear the trees rubbing against each other, the creaking, like the um, horror stories from years ago, the creaking of the branches. You're concentrating on that. If you're addressing that, you get nowhere. You might kill yourself if you're the arborist and just addressing that, okay? But if you realize that the source of those problems is our connection to the main trunk, it's that to which we're grafted, Okay, into which we're grafted, which really is the concern. We can address that, but it's wrong to address it first, all that stuff, all that interweaving of branches. We can address that, but we need to address the Jesus problem first. We need to address our completeness in Jesus Christ first before you're going to do anything about the rest of that. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous to work with that mayhem out there before you work with your connection to Jesus Christ. And so, completeness. Do we know where our completeness is? Do we know where our maturity is? Our maturity is in Jesus Christ. And unless we know that, we're not going to function well. We're going to cause a lot of mayhem. We're going to cause a lot of disturbance. Okay? And of course, dealing with the mayhem first without dealing with our attachment to Jesus Christ, our completeness in Jesus Christ, 
contributes to our sin. Because we're living out there and all that mayhem and not being complete in Jesus Christ and knowing. We should be examining first. We have trouble. Examine first your connection to Jesus Christ and then deal with those other things. So there's a story for you. Maybe that'll hold it in your minds. We're talking about maturity again. Um, our next lesson will be, I believe, the 8th of January after the holidays. So I hope you all have a nice holiday. Let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day.